This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Access the number one care in Ohio anytime, anywhere. By Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By KeyBank, the banking home of the Cleveland Indians. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where the Indians are into their offseason. But postseason in Major League Baseball continues. The American League Championship Series still to be decided. A Game 7 on Saturday night in Houston between the Yankees and the Astros to decide who faces the Los Angeles Dodgers in this year's Fall Classic. The Dodgers with Major League's best record in the regular season. They oust the Cubs in the National League Championship Series four games to one with their win at Wrigley Field on Thursday night. And uh, they will await the winner of that Yankees-Astros matchup in Game 7 on Saturday night. Coming up on this week's show, Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com will talk postseason and his impressions of a very likable and intriguing Dodgers ball club. It's a really well-run organization, and um, as easy it is to say, oh, they just spend a lot of money, and here they are. You know, there, there's a lot of good work that went into this roster. Also coming up on this week's show, Indians president of business operations, Brian Barron, fills us in on an extensive effort by the Indians to take care of their extended family in Puerto Rico and how they got that job done under some tough circumstances to try and get food, water, and supplies down to Puerto Rico in the wake of Hurricane Maria. I think it speaks to the character of, of Chris Antonetti. While he was preparing, obviously, some tough choices for our postseason roster, on his to-do list towards the top was figure out a plan to help our families in Puerto Rico. We'll also have news and notes from the week gone by. That's coming up as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk as we join you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend. And don't forget, Tribe Talk comes your way weekly, year-round. So throughout the offseason, which isn't officially here yet, not with the World Series uh, yet to begin, but uh, during the postseason and also during the hot stove season, we will keep you up to date on everything 
going on with the Indians and throughout Major League Baseball as well. And for the Tribe, some news this week already. Michael Brantley underwent right ankle surgery Wednesday afternoon down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Robert Anderson performed the arthroscopic surgery, and that stabilized ligaments in his right ankle and he's expected to be ready to resume full baseball activity in four to five months. And if you do that math, should put him right on target to get back to baseball activities when the Indians begin spring training out in Goodyear in uh, late February and early March. So uh, hopefully for Michael Brantley, that shores things up on that troublesome ankle that really had him on the shelf from early August on. He did come back for that American League Division Series with the Yankees, but just was not the same. And uh, hopefully this repairs things and has him ready to go. Now the Indians still have to make a decision on Brantley on whether to pick up his contract option for the 2018 season. They either pick that option up or they buy him out, and uh, in return he would become a free agent. So we'll see um, what that decision is. You would think they would pick that up, but you never know. He's really had a hard time staying on the field, and we'll see how the Indians handle that. Of course, Michael Brantley's status as uh, really one of the cornerstones of that core group of young players who has grown together, uh, that will certainly come into play, and he is a force in that clubhouse as well. So uh, some news on Michael Brantley, getting that ankle repaired and getting him ready to go by spring training. Now, on the coaching staff front, the Indians could have some changes on their coaching staff as Mickey Calloway, the outstanding pitching coach for the Tribe, his name has been mentioned in conjunction with the Mets opening and also the Phillies opening with some interviews happening there for Mickey Calloway reportedly. And uh, if indeed he is able to, to nail down one of those jobs and become a major league manager, that obviously leaves an opening on the Indian staff and there could be some uh, dominoes in effect there, but uh, you look around Major League Baseball, and uh, the Red Sox still have not announced their manager. The Mets uh, getting it down to a, a small number with uh, Mickey Calloway reportedly still in the running. The Phillies uh, about the same. Now the Washington Nationals have an opening with Dusty Baker being let go uh, over the weekend. That's a shocker certainly for many after back-to-back uh, playoff appearances for the Nationals under Baker. The Tigers have squared things away. They have hired Ron Gardenhire to be their manager, the former outstanding skipper of the Minnesota Twins. He's back in the game in the American League Central Division, and uh, he'll be in charge of a big rebuild for the Detroit Tigers. So the managerial carousel continues to whirl, and the Indians uh, could be involved in that in terms of their pitching coach, Mickey Calloway. And uh, you still hear Sandy Alomar's name come up in certain circles as well. So we'll keep an eye on the coaching staff throughout the offseason. But uh, that's our news and notes for this week. Stay with us. When we return, we'll hear from Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com. We'll talk postseason baseball with Anthony when we return after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. One ball, one strike to Contreras. Jansen delivers. Line drive. Caught by Culberson. The Dodgers win. It's been 29 years. It's a very long time between then and now. The wait is over. The Dodgers are going back to the World Series. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And on this segment, we check in with Anthony Castrovance, the longtime writer now 
for MLB.com, former beat reporter for the Indians on Indians.com when that platform really started gaining some traction. And Anthony's been covering the postseason for MLB.com. He just completed work on the National League Championship Series, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. The Dodgers defeating the Cubs in five games to advance to the World Series. But Anthony also was on the case during the Indians-Yankees American League Division Series, and a surprise for many in that the Yankees were able to overcome a two-games-to-none deficit and oust the Indians from postseason play. And obviously fans here uh, very much disappointed in how that series transpired, especially after such an encouraging beginning with the two games at Progressive Field that were just tremendous, especially Game 2, the raucous comeback, the win in 13 innings, and the Indians heading to New York with a two-games-to-none lead, needing just one more win to wrap it up, but they could not get it. And when we checked in with Anthony on Friday, he talked about the the still surprise of the Indians not playing the Astros right now in the American League Championship Series. Uh, it's still it's still hard to believe we're having this conversation, Rosie, because I, I never would have believed it going to New York that day. Um, you know, on that that travel day between games two and three, just given the intensity of game two and the way the Indians came back. But I think it's easier now in hindsight to see that you know, how big of a deal Edwin Encarnacion's injury was, because I mean it was somewhat by design with what decisions they made with the roster, but you know, the, the depth was pretty compromised. Uh, you had two guys on the roster who were basic non-factors in, in Brantley and Chisenhall. And so when you lose a, uh, you know, a premier bat like that for a couple of games, you know, that, that was number one issue to me. And number two is just because of, you know, they didn't win a game in New York and one win there would have done it. And then of course, issue number two is just Corey Kluber did not deliver. It didn't, um, come back to bite them uh, in game two because the way they came back but of course you know they had it lined up just how they wanted it for game five with with Kluber on regular rest and it just wasn't there you saw it kind of from the beginning he was just kind of fighting his command and uh you know he, he just wasn't that sharp Kluber that we saw from June 1st on through the end of the regular season so those are the two unfortunate things that uh they just couldn't overcome because of what happened in New York and and some of the things that that you had mentioned that became apparent as the the series went along uh, what was your feel going into game five in, in terms of a confidence level that the Indians would move on? Not it, my, my confidence was, was definitely shaken just because of what we saw from Kluber in game two. I mean, you, you tend to bet on guys like that, but it, it was hard to feel overly confident because something happened in the Bronx and we saw it in the ALCS as well. That building uh, just has a bugaboo for the opposing uh, clubs apparently because the Indians started making all these defensive errors. It was just not the team that we saw. Um, you know, for the for the, the large measure of the season, and certainly not in the last couple months of the season, it was just a different Indians team. Um, so it was just it was hard to feel overly confident. I'd picked the Indians in part because of the way they had lined up the rotation and everything. I'd picked the Indians to win in five, um, but I always felt Rosie going into that series that you know if there was one matchup in going into the postseason in general, as things were playing out and, and seeding was getting solidified. There was one matchup that worried me. It was the Yankees in a five-game series as opposed to a seven-game series. Any other club, um, I, you know, I wasn't quite as concerned about it, with, with the exception of the Dodgers in the World Series, just because they've been so good all year. But um, but something about that five-game series with that bullpen, um, and, and then obviously, you know, they turned it up a notch in the Bronx. And um, so it, it was hard to go into game five and feel supremely confident like you ordinarily would because you had a, a potentially compromised Kluber and, um, and a team that, that suddenly was just having trouble catching the ball and, and certainly having trouble hitting the ball. 
And when you look at the, at the playoffs as a whole, I think a lot of people thought at, at certain points in time during the regular season, and I'm sure certainly heading into the postseason, that an Indians-Cubs rematch in the World Series was something that, that could very possibly happen, yet now it will not. The Cubs have been eliminated as well, albeit in, in a, another round further than the Indians. But it, does it just show uh, in baseball how difficult it is to get back to a, to a point where you can try and win a championship again? 100%. And, you know, we haven't had a World Series rematch since the late 70s with the Dodgers and Yankees, and there's a reason for that. And it's it's amplified by the wild card years, you know, the wild card era. Um, and, and it's just it's hard to repeat for one team to repeat and get back there is difficult enough. You know, for both teams to do it is just mathematically not impossible, but but certainly impractical. And um, so there were a lot of pre- previews at the end of the season that said, you know, Cubs Yankees rematch. It was, it was hard for me to feel that because we know the hangover effects that can happen. And I think you really saw that with the Cubs pitching staff this year. You know, they took a drastic step backwards. Um, in terms of the performance of their pitching staff, and that was certainly a, that, that hangover kind of vibe to it. The Indians were more just the, the first half of the season. They just kind of, in, in some ways, it felt like they are going through the motions at times, um, and then they really turned it up a notch, kicked it in the gear just before the postseason. So, if anything, I felt better about the Indians' chances of getting back to the World Series than the Cubs, but, of course, they were upended uh, in the first round. Anthony Castrovince joining us from MLB.com, and, and your role as a a national columnist, you're on the case in the National League Championship Series and a rematch from a year ago. Biggest difference in your mind from, from 2017 to 2000 or 2016 to this year that allows the Dodgers to move on now and, and play in the World Series? Yeah, well, it was kind of like this series was a mirror image of, of last year. So last year, the, the Cubs and Dodgers, of course, played in the NLCS and the Cubs won it in six. And the Dodgers went into that series just having a having come off a really hard-fought series against the Nationals that went five games, and they had to do crazy things with their pitching staff to make that happen. You know, Kershaw had to pitch in relief, um, and and then you know the, the short travel, uh, you know, the, the travel experience was not in their favor. You know, all that, the home field advantage. This was the polar opposite. This time, the Dodgers had the home field advantage. The Cubs were coming off the hard-fought series with the Nationals that went five games. They had to travel across the country and. They had this layover in Albuquerque because uh, they had a medical emergency on the flight. So all these crazy things transpired against them right from the start of that series. And, and their pitching staff um, just was, again, it just wasn't what it was a year ago. Their bullpen just had trouble throwing strikes. And the Dodgers are just so good. They, they make starting pitchers work. Um, they work the count so well. They don't chase. And so those Cubs pitchers were generally, you know, chased out of games pretty early. And then you get in that bullpen. And they were t- able to take advantage of that bullpen. So it, it was um, it was interesting because you know the Cubs took the lead in the first three games of that series, but only won one of those games. Or I'm sorry, in the first four games of that series, only won one of that, one of those games. And um, it, it was just it was domination by the Dodgers. Even the one game they lost, you know, they had the uh, tying run, uh, you know, on the base pads in the ninth inning, and, and they fought them, you know, every step of the way. So it's going to be a really tough team to take down in the World Series. And Clayton Kershaw was Clayton Kershaw, which hasn't always been the case in yep. the postseason for him. Uh, did he need this type of postseason, you think? Or are maybe we making too much of some past difficulties that he may have had? Well, he'll tell you we're making too much of it. And I do think there is something to it a little bit. Um, I don't have the number in front of me, but before the postseason started, I looked up like the percentage of his runs given up in a percentage of his innings. And what I mean by that is, the vast majority of the runs he's given up October came in a very small percentage of his total innings pitched. He's just had some innings get away from him on that stage for whatever reason. And in some ways, I think they've ridden him too hard. 
uh, in previous years. I mentioned pitching and relief last year, but also just generally sticking with them too long. Um, and I, it seems like they've learned their lesson, A, and, and B, they just have a better bullpen now. So they didn't. They don't have to, uh, you know, ride Clayton Kershaw as hard as they did in years past um, with, with the strength of that bullpen right now. So he was, yeah, he was very good in the clincher. He also had a lot of run support to help that. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, it, it was it was really good to see, you know, legitimately the, the greatest pitcher of his time and a guy who was a homegrown Dodger, um, you know, do that, pitch that team into the World Series. I thought that was a really cool story. And as the Dodgers head into the World Series, uh, a lot of likable pieces. They're, they're an interesting yeah. team, an entertaining team. They spend more money than anybody in baseball. I mean, they have it uh, <laughs> at, at every uh, beck and call, certainly. But uh, what makes this team, in your mind, uh, a likable team and fun to watch? Yeah, I mean, it's as likable as a $250 million team can be. And, and you know, the reason I say that is you look at the way they're built, and, yeah, they have a huge payroll, but much of that was inherited. Um, by the Andrew Friedman regime. And since he's been there, since he came over from the Rays, he's almost taken a Rays-like approach in some ways. They, they, you know, they, they retained all of their free agents last year. So that's not every club can do that, clearly. But the guys they retained, I mean, look at their track records. And we know Rich Hill in Cleveland. We know his backstory uh, as a guy who really grinded it out to, to get to this point in his career. Um, Justin Turner reinvented himself with the Dodgers. Now he's one of the best players in baseball. Um, you know, to, So they retained guys that were, you know, their creations in, in some ways. Um, and then they, I guess the big difference between the Dodgers and, and maybe a club like the Indians is they have so much money on their bench. You know, I mean, Andre Ethier is a, a part-timer for them. Um, they take on the rest of Curtis Granderson's money. He's a part-timer for them. So they're able to do things like that. But fundamentally, I mean, they've had some, some really, they've hit on some really big moves. I mean, Chris Taylor was a, a low profile trade who was absolutely essential for them this season a guy who came out of nowhere to have a, you know, not quite MVP caliber, but he was certainly, he might've been their most valuable player just because of the, the impact was so unexpected. So, you know, they've done it the right way in, in, in many ways and they don't, they did make, you know, huge free agent or trade splashes until, um, you know, going out and getting you Darvish this summer. That was the first time they were like willing to part with some prospects. They really value that farm system. It's so strong. And you see that when Cody Bellinger comes up and is the clear rookie of the year. So, it's a really well-run organization, and um, as easy it is to say, oh, they just spend a lot of money, and here they are, you know, there, there's a lot of good work that went into this roster. All right, switching gears to the Misery Loves Company angle. Uh, for Indians fans, obviously a, a tough deal losing in the American League Division Series to the Yankees. Uh, they saw the, the Cub fan at up close and personal last year during the world series. <laughs> what was the vibe like at, at Wrigley field here? This, these last couple of days, especially after losing and, and seeing this supposed dynasty at least halted for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was, it was dead quiet there. Um, the, the first game in Chicago game three, um, as, as it should have been, you know, the Cubs didn't give them much to cheer about. They just weren't doing anything offensively. And then they really talked themselves and, you know, people just generally as, as fans are wont to do, you know, they talked themselves into that game four having more meaning than it did. But but to me, the writing was on the wall because, again, they, they had exhausted themselves so much just to win that one game. They had to pitch Wade Davis for two innings and 48 pitches just to finish the Dodgers off in that single game. Um, so then they go into game five against Clayton Kershaw with Wade Davis not even available in their bullpen. It was just not a good setup for them. And I think most fans there in their heart of hearts knew that. Um, you didn't see quite the enthusiasm when it comes to, you know, stuff like the secondary ticket market or, you know, the line – uh, for for uh, 
you know, the drop line uh, for the bleacher seats, you know, stuff like that. It, it didn't have that vibe to it that it did a year ago. Um, and, and that's only natural. And as you said, it's so hard to repeat. They're still set up to be really good, but they're going to have to make some moves, uh, particularly in the bullpen, uh, you know, to get to get back to a World Series caliber ball club, in my opinion. Anthony Castrovince joining us from MLB.com, not only an outstanding baseball writer, but as regular listeners of our show know, a, an inveterate Bruce Springsteen fan. Uh, how many shows have you seen now of Springsteen, not counting your most recent, which we'll get to shortly? Well, not counting most recent is an even 50. So I, nice. I got over the 50 mark now. All right. So, which is insane, of course. So 50, whether it be arena, uh, stadium, or, or small theater shows. He's on Broadway. Springsteen on Broadway has just opened. And when the uh, right around playoff time, I can't remember if it was right when the, the Indians were playing the Yankees, but you had a chance to see Springsteen on Broadway. Your review as a connoisseur of the boss. Well, it was the only good thing to come out of the Indians' visit to New York was my ability to see Springsteen on Broadway on the off day between games. And, uh, you know, I went in, not I, I kind of had an idea of what it would be, of course. It's just Bruce and a guitar and a piano and a story to tell. And uh, I, I was kind of not – I didn't have the highest of hopes for it because I've, I've read the biography, so I know all the stories already. Um, I've heard, I've seen him play. I'm, I'm sure it would be a greatest hits oriented set. I've seen him play these songs hundreds of times, but, uh, but it was still a very powerful experience, Rosie. I, I highly recommend it because, um, the, the, uh, evocative nature of his, his delivery. Um, the, the music is, is there, of course, it's a music based performance, but the, the music's almost secondary to, to the stories he's telling and the way he's telling them. It's, it's just really gripping. Uh, there's people with tears in their eyes, myself included. Um, at, at some of the things he has to say in the show. So uh, I, I don't know. I would say, I, I guess I'm recommending it if you can get a ticket, but uh, I, I got absolutely lucky uh, with the drop line. It was the first week of the run. So I, I think I got uh, uh, really lucky there with there. It wasn't, uh, you know, quite the uh, drop line line that there probably will be now for, for every show going forward. But um, yeah, highly recommended. And we will end right there. Anthony, great stuff. Uh, always well-rounded and, and fun to have you on. Enjoy the remainder of the postseason. Thanks. All right, Rosie. Thank you. Is there a more well-rounded baseball writer than Anthony Castrovince? Always great to have him on our show. And uh, we may check in with Anthony again during the World Series. He'll be covering that for MLB.com. Stay tuned. We'll continue with Tribe Talk after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field. And we take a break from baseball talk per se on this week's edition of Tribe Talk and fill you in on just a great effort on the part of the Cleveland Indians to help those in need in Puerto Rico after the devastation from Hurricane Maria and to some extent Hurricane Irma prior to that. But everyone knows uh, throughout the month of September, especially the tail end of September, some of the flooding and high winds that caused severe damage in Puerto Rico, still very much uh, a very difficult situation down there. And uh, depending on the reports that you may read, uh, the percentages of the, the island that are still without power, without fresh drinking water, basic necessities that you need, it's anywhere from 75 to 90% of the island still really struggling to get supplies and uh, things that they need back up and running to help people move on and try and rebuild. 
and, and make some headway there. So we had a chance to visit with Brian Barron, the president of business operations for the Indians, as uh, he was a point person among many in helping send supplies to those in the Indians family who need it most down in Puerto Rico. And here are some of the names that you're going to hear during the course of this interview, and, and we get through them kind of quickly. But some of those who took part in this effort to get supplies on the ground and in the hands of those in need uh, start at the very top. Obviously, Indians owner Paul Dolan, he was the one who, who really got things moving with an email very shortly after uh, things came to light that there were major supplies needed. Chris Antonetti, the Indians president of baseball operations, and Mike Chernoff, Indians general manager, they, from the team perspective, got things rolling in a priority fashion at a time of the year when they were preparing the playoff roster uh, right around that end of September, early October time. Uh, from the Player Development Department, Assistant General Manager Carter Hawkins, and former Indians pitcher Bruce Chen, who is now in player relations on the minor league end. They also helped out quite a bit. Now, in Puerto Rico, one of the Indian scouts, Jose Trujillo, he was a major factor. Carlos Baerga, Indians Hall of Famer and former second baseman from Puerto Rico. He was on the ground in Puerto Rico to make sure everything got into the right hands. And uh, here back stateside in the Indians front office, Kim Scott and Francine Summers, who do great work in their departments. They helped out with payment and the order consolidation. And Rebecca Kodish also uh, helped out quite a bit in keeping the Indians in the loop with Major League Baseball's efforts. Uh, Rebecca heads up the Indians Community Relations Department. And some of those impacted in Puerto Rico include uh, family members of Francisco Lindor, the Indians all-star shortstop. Immediate family is here in the States, but some extended family, including aunts and uncles, still make their home in Puerto Rico. Roberto Perez, Indians catcher, his mom, lost her home, had to move elsewhere, and uh, they are still trying to, to get things back in a positive direction. And several players in the Indians minor league system, several staff members, they all have family and friends in Puerto Rico. So that was the goal of this relief effort. How do you get the supplies from the mainland down to Puerto Rico and in the hands of those people, which has been a challenge. A lot of supplies going to Puerto Rico, but then they remain stuck at the ports and not getting into the, the areas where people really need them. So when we caught up with Brian Barron, first question asked to Brian, how quickly did things get started and the ball get rolling to try and help those in need down in Puerto Rico? From an Indian's perspective, things came together on the planning front within 24 hours. The execution of that plan took about another three days, but we were able to move pretty quickly. And frankly, the lack of communication from Puerto Rico, from family members, staff, loved ones down there back to folks in the United States is what triggered the initial development of the plan. Those normal communication lines had actually been severed. People were not able to communicate via phone. Power uh, continues to be a, a dilemma down there today prohibited people from communicating back to the United States, which led folks here on the ground to say, we need to do something to help get relief to our families down in Puerto Rico. And for the Indians, it, it sounded like that started at, at the very top of the organization. Yes, it did. So we were actually preparing for the Saturday evening game against the Chicago White Sox on the 30th of September. 
and Paul Dolan reached out uh, based on a message from Bruce Chen, our cultural advisor, to Chris Antonetti, uh, me and a handful of others, to begin building a plan to help our families down in Puerto Rico. When you look at at starting to build that plan, it helps to have some experience, maybe a little luck along the way with with certain things that had happened prior, uh, your experience in relief efforts uh, from a, a prior uh, job life and, and before baseball. Uh, explain how that came into play and, and was really helpful in this. Sure. So prior to joining the Indians, I spent almost 25 years at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati and different parts of the world. One of the things I was able to learn through different assignments at Procter & Gamble was how to actually handle relief when a disaster, a natural disaster, takes place. Specific to something that's weather-induced like a hurricane, there are plans and programs in place that can help you get in front of the planning and the execution of relief efforts. Specifically with a hurricane, you can actually look at the Weather Channel, for example, and see 10 days out, 8 days out, 6 days out, where is the storm, what are the potential paths of that storm, and what product do we need to get from a plant somewhere in the United States to places that would likely need that product. For Procter & Gamble, Duracell was was a brand that P&G owned at the time. And on the hurricane response plans, we would build proactive dates and gates where if a storm was headed in a certain path, we had inventory that would automatically start to ship to key retailers in typically the southeastern United States on the eastern seaboard as well as the Gulf Coast. And that inventory would enable people to use battery-operated equipment very quickly with Duracell batteries. So when you look at at this particular situation, you hear about the power situation down there. Generators obviously were a big key, and, and Walmart came into play for not only generators but other supplies. How did, how did that come about, and, and what connection was there to, to make sure that that happened? So the connection to Walmart was, uh, was twofold. One, in my experience at Procter & Gamble, I worked down in Bentonville, Arkansas, for nearly six years on Procter & Gamble's business with Walmart. And two, uh, my oldest son actually now works for Walmart. He works for Sam's Club in Bentonville, Arkansas. So... I was able to take learning based on experience with Walmart and tap into my son who was working at Sam's headquarters in Bentonville to get a good feel for how many clubs Sam's had operating on the island of Puerto Rico um, within 48 hours of Hurricane Maria actually hitting the island. So when you you hear about these stories and and you read articles uh, regarding how difficult it's been, there's supplies going there but not getting to their intended destination. How did you overcome that obstacle to, to make sure that the 25 or so families were able to get generators, food, and water to, to try and get their lives going and help others too? So one of the most important things to do right away is establish single points of contact on the ground. One, organizationally for the Indians, call it you know in the U.S. at the time in Cleveland, and one on the ground in Puerto Rico. By establishing those single points of contact, you can actually very quickly start to get accurate information around family safety, any medical needs or attention that family may have, and what the actual safety is like in the environment. Is it one where local law enforcement can actually 
have law and order with a curfew, which was actually what was happening in Puerto Rico pretty quickly. So once we were able to get our arms around that, we identified a scout down in Puerto Rico to run point back and forth among our 25 families. And Bruce Chen, our cultural advisor here in Cleveland, actually ran point across our baseball and business operations here in the United States so we could get those two single points of contact communicating back and forth with one another about the Indians' needs, and we line them up with a single point of contact with Sam's Club. And that scout is Jose Trujillo. He is the, an Indian scout in Puerto Rico, and uh, you mentioned Bruce Chen, who, who used to pitch for the Indians for just a little while. Gloria Batista, another name that, that has come up, who was extremely helpful down in Puerto Rico. Yes. So once we were able to get Bruce and Jose connected, my son Billy connected us with Gloria Batista down in Puerto Rico, in San Juan for Sam's Club. Gloria was actually able to make face-to-face contact with Jose on the ground down in Puerto Rico, and we were able to build a very specific plan to not only get the relief package or set of supplies for our families, but to coordinate times for our families to come to a specific Sam's Club location and pick up that product so they could experience the immediate relief that that came as a result of that care package. Just remarkable how quickly it has come together. We're visiting with Brian Barron, the Indians president of baseball operations, talking about hurricane relief in Puerto Rico. And again, it it started with uh, Paul Dolan uh, putting the email out and making contact on September 30th. And, and by the time the Indians were playing in New York, you got the, the good news that that the necessary uh, supplies were getting to their intended destination? Yes. So we were actually preparing for Game 4 of the American League Division Series and received notification from Sam's Club on the ground in San Juan that we were able to secure generators for each one of our families as well as the food, the water, and the personal hygiene items that were part of the relief packages. And have you gotten any feedback from from those involved in terms of the success and and what it has meant to them in a short period of time? We have. We were also very fortunate that while we were building the plan here in Cleveland, Carlos Baerga was here for the first and second games of the American League Division Series. Carlos then went back to San Juan, and he was – personally involved in the passing out of all of the relief supplies to our families, to our staff, uh, and made a huge impact not only for us organizationally, but certainly within within the community down in San Juan. And, and Brian, you look at this, and uh, you look at the time frame. It's at the Indians' busiest time of year, and one of the names, I think you mentioned Chris Antonetti was involved. Uh, I mean, here's a time where they're trying to figure out their postseason roster and, and some things that are important to the Indians in, in that period of time. But what does it mean when you see this type of thing happening that's a little bit above what happens wins or loss-wise, baseball-wise, as part of the organization? I think it speaks to the character of, of Chris Antonetti. He's, he's a special leader. He's a special individual. Well, he was preparing, obviously, some tough choices for our postseason roster on his to-do list towards the top was figure out a plan to help our families in Puerto Rico. Chris checked in periodically and assigned Carter Hawkins to actually run point within baseball operations here in Cleveland, on the ground in the United States, to keep Chris abreast of where we were from a status standpoint, but also to inform Chris on 
Who are the people that were making a difference? Along the way, Chris went out of his way to personally thank people, either face-to-face -face or by sending emails or making phone calls in between games or in preparation for the next game as we were still playing when the relief effort actually was implemented down in San Juan. Well, just remarkable what the Indians have been able to do. And, and again, it's it probably seems like a, a small thing in terms of, of the amount of people, but I would imagine just getting 25 families started can have a, a wide-ranging impact, among others, I would think. Yes, and I think for us, we've been able to pick up a couple of things from our folks on the ground down there, as well as from other Major League Baseball teams. To the point you made before, Rosie, one of the biggest challenges right now is actually getting product that's already there on the island from point A to point B. Other teams are trying to figure out how can they get efforts in place to help those within their organization that are in need. We've been able to take the approach that we've used and share it with other teams as recently as the New York Mets yesterday asking, who are the contacts? What specifically did you do? How can we do something very similar? And on things like this, obviously, we're going to share as much early and often as we can to help others. Baseball's one big family, isn't it? Yes, it is. Brian, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rosie. Unbelievable what can happen when you get a group together with a real focus on what needs to be done, and they certainly have gotten things done. And it's it's a small part, but it, it took a lot to get it going. And, and obviously, uh, those 25 or so families who are helped can now help others, too, as they have gotten up and running with much-needed supplies, specifically generators being one of the big keys. So we thank Brian Barron, the Indians president of baseball operations, for joining us and filling us in on uh, really a, a heartwarming story of the Indians helping those in need in the Indians' extended family, so to speak, down in Puerto Rico. And that'll do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us. And again, we have Tribe Talk throughout the offseason. It is a weekly, year-round show. So if you have time, check it out. Not only on your Indians radio network station, usually running uh, late afternoon on Saturdays or somewhere along the lines over the weekend, but also you can download us as a podcast on iTunes as well. Just go to Cleveland Indians and uh, you'll be able to find it right there. And you'll be all set to go. So until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.